Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We talked a lot about nuclear power. We talked with uh, our good friend uh, Terry Bro, Professor Terry Bro, who was uh, the head of energy security for France about the issue of nuclear reactors and what was happening in Europe. France was sort of decommissioning them. And Germany was down to the last one, the last time we talked with Professor Bro, who's going to be back on the air with us very soon. Things I understand are changing somewhat in Europe, and nuclear reactors are somewhat back in favor. But you may find this particularly interesting with Premier Mo talking about nuclear, small nuclear reactors in Saskatchewan. Ontario is proceeding, and it's not all about Ontario, but this is really interesting. Ontario is proceeding with a massive multi-billion dollar refurbishment of four aging nuclear reactors at its Pickering power plant, which is east of Toronto. And that, Reuters writes, is according to two provincial government sources. We know more about it now because the energy minister has talked about it. And joining us to, uh, to, to share his thoughts on this issue, and we're glad to have him back on the program, is Dr. Chris Kiefer. Dr. Kiefer is a staff emergency physician at St. Joseph's Health Center. I don't want to say he's a real doctor, but, well, there are real doctors and there are, there are doctors. He's also a lecturer of the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. He's the president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy, and he's the host of the Decouple podcast. Dr. Kiefer, did you expect this day would happen the first time we talked some years ago? I'm trying to think back to when that was, Roy. Uh, certainly, you know, we started campaigning for the refurbishment of Pickering in 2020. And at that point, I mean, there were other people who thought it made sense, but, you know, they really felt like we were beating a dead horse, that there wasn't a snowball's chance in hell. And, you know, we persisted, you know, we're not industry funded or tied to industry, so we were free to kind of operate and just follow our values. And we felt that for climate reasons, for clean air reasons, for the issue of medical isotopes, Pickering produces enough of a medical isotope called cobalt-60 to sterilize 20% of the world's single-use medical devices. We thought, you know, we're going to fight for this hell or high water. And slowly, the facts on the ground changed. Uh, energy demand has been increasing in Ontario. Um, and we lobbied the government hard. And our arguments seemed to have fallen finally on, on sympathetic ears as those facts on the ground changed. And uh, we saw this announcement um, just uh, earlier this week. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a huge moment of vindication for the hard work that we put into this campaign. Uh, congratulations. Do you see more of this happening across the country? For example, what Premier Mo talked to us about, but do you see more nuclear development or redevelopment or refurbishing across Canada? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, this, this isn't controversial, this idea of refurbishing uh, nuclear power plants. The way that our national reactor design, the Candy Reactor, um, is designed is that, you know, at the 30 to 40 year mark, you have the option to do basically, you know, you can think of it as an engine swap out in a car. If you want to think about your house, it would be like changing the furnace, uh, redoing the plumbing, redoing the electrical. And that gives you another 40 years of operation because you got to remember, um, you know, the steel and concrete transmission um, for these nuclear plants is all there. So it's a really good value proposition. Not cheap, but, you know, compared to um, the vast amount of power that you put out over those 20 or 30 years, 
it leads to Ontario electricity, um, nuclear still being the second cheapest source of electricity here in Ontario, despite doing these big uh, renovations, we'll call them. So um, certainly, yes, the refurbishments are happening at candor reactors around the world and now almost every candor reactor in Ontario. But as you mentioned, with uh, with Premier Mo, uh, now with interest from uh, Danielle Smith um, and New Brunswick as well, there's serious interest um, in reactors that are better fit for their grid. So a little bit smaller than our, our national reactor technology to can do. And supporters of renewables are not uh, not in disfavor as far as this is concerned, as I understand. It's a mixed bag. Um, you know, Pollution Probe is an NGO here in Ontario. In 2018, they were campaigning to shut down Pickering. Um, they put out a tweet after the announcement um, supporting the government's stand on this. So um, that's a really encouraging turnaround. And, and we started to see that, you know, in Finland, um, the uh, Greenpeace uh, and the Green Party uh, have stopped um, fighting nuclear power and are actually in favor of it. Um, so I think, you know, finally, we're starting to see the environmental movement stop uh, scoring own goals on themselves as they have been for many years, uh, trying to shut down nuclear plants. So, you know, very, very encouraging. So had this not happened, had the uh, reactors, and it's not an overnight job, it's it's a long process and it's expensive, as you said, but had it not been approved, what would the outcome have been without the without these reactors? What would the situation have been? Well, it would not have been wind and solar jumping in to save the day. Um, the independent electricity systems operator who runs and, and does some of the planning of the grid said that the vast majority of the power from Pickering would be replaced by natural gas. That would have you know, led to the um, emission of uh, the equivalent of 7.6 million transatlantic flights of CO2 every year. Um, and it would have reversed about one third of the gains we got from phasing out coal. You got to remember, Ontario used to use coal for 25% of its electricity. We had a nuclear-powered coal phase. Nuclear provided 90% of the energy in order to kick coal off the grid. It was called North America's greatest greenhouse gas reduction measure. Um, and you know, just nationally, like if you look at our our emissions, uh, you know, since the early 2000s, Canada hasn't really made much progress, and that's because the oil sands came online. But what kept our emissions from actually going up was Ontario kicking the coal habit. And again, that was only enabled um, through nuclear energy. So, you know, really important, we thought, to preserve those clean air gains. We used to have 54 smog days a year in Toronto and, you know, about a thousand people dying prematurely every year due to air pollution, partially attributed to coal. Um, we thought those gains were, were worth defending. And again, that's part of the reason that we, we got into this battle. Yeah, it's a few billion, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, so the refurbishments, um, you know, this is a mega project, absolutely. And, you know, in the West, we've been struggling with mega projects, be it airports, uh, be it uh, subways, uh, you know, light rail, um, mm. and uh, hydro dams as well. I mean, Site C and Muskrat Falls have gone at least double over budget and faced major delays. And, you know, your listeners will not be uh, unfamiliar with the idea that nuclear plants in the West have been struggling to get built recently in uh, America and in Europe. What's interesting in Ontario is these, uh, these again, these refurbishments, have been coming in ahead of schedule. The last unit that was brought back to service in Darlington, six months ahead of schedule and under budget. So, you know, nuclear, it's got a lot of criticisms out there and critiques. And the one that I'll really give ground on is that it's hard, it's difficult, it needs your best people, it needs really mature institutions that know what they're doing. We've built that expertise up in Ontario and you see that in the fruits uh, of that labor is that we're able to pull out these mega projects well ahead of schedule. 
And nuclear provides that, you know, similar to hydroelectricity, that long-term value proposition in a way that, you know, other low-carbon alternatives just don't, like wind and solar. Yeah. Do you know what I find uh, that when, when, when I talk to people about nuclear power, I have to get cheering or booing. There's nobody's in the middle. Nobody, nobody's devoid of an opinion, uh, yeah. whether it's an informed opinion or not, but everybody has an opinion. Yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, I like to think that I'm actually becoming a bit more moderate. Um, you know, in the beginning, when you get into an issue like this, it's, it's true. You get pretty, um, pretty polarized um, just because that's the way our culture is these days. It's, it's not a popular position. It doesn't bring you any real reward to sort of sit there in the middle and say, oh, there's a lot of nuance here. Um, again, um, what I will certainly acknowledge to the critics is that nuclear is hard. And if you don't have the right people and the right institutions, you know, it goes over budget and over time. Um, but again, we have something really special here in Ontario. What I will say, you know, just looking at the overall energy situation in Ontario right now, a lot of people said, you know, why are you doing this expensive refurbishment? You know, we should build wind and solar. They're cheaper than, than ever. And, you know, in today, Ontario had a pretty, um, well, it's not such a unique day, um, but we have enough wind installed. If, it were all, if all the wind turbines were spinning at once, we could power um, 5 million homes. But only um, less than 1% of that wind was operating today. We could only power 1,000 homes with wind. So it gives you a sense of, you know, the fair weather friend element of wind and solar. We saw in Alberta with their power crunch. Um, these are not power sources that perform when they are most needed, when they're critically needed. It's a, not a freezing cold day here in Ontario. We've had a mild winter. Um, but winter and, and summer with our air conditioning demand, that's when we need all the power we can get. And unfortunately, that's when wind in particular just, just doesn't show up. Um, so you can install something that's super cheap, but, you know, if you don't have it when you need it, you're in big trouble. Yeah. And, and again, people, you know, the Greens in Ontario, um, the environmental organizations said, don't worry, just build lots of wind and solar, build microgrids, you know, have EVs that can keep the grid going. Maybe we'll get some hydro from Quebec. This cobbled together Rube Goldberg machine, you know, for me, they're playing fast and loose with the most important system we have in our society, which is the electric grid. And we found out uh, two days ago. 7,000 people in, in Toronto found out that even a raccoon can bring things to a stop. <laughs> you know what? And it's, it's kind of an, an amusing thing. I mean, it was probably a major inconvenience for those folks. Um, but again, what we're talking about with an electrify everything agenda is getting rid of the reliable stuff. Uh, with the exception of nuclear, which is ultra low carbon. But once you start getting rid of your diesel backups, um, your natural gas furnaces, and you move over to heat pumps and EVs, then if the electricity is not there, you're in real trouble. You know, and if you're saying, don't worry, we can just not travel at all for a few days while our EVs pick up the uh, tab and try and run the grid. Well, I mean, we've faced weeks without wind and sun. And then you're in real trouble. And then, you know, like I work in a hospital. We've had a power cut before from the grid. Our diesel backups went into play, but it was absolutely hair-raising. You know, there's only one more thing that went wrong and or could go wrong, and we would have had people dying in the hospital. Yeah. My son was in an incubator for five weeks. Oh, for me, wow. the electricity grid is not a joke. It's not something to take lightly. And I think that, unfortunately, you know, the environmentalists, the David Suzuki Foundation and others, again, are, are paying, playing fast and loose with something that we take for granted. Absolutely, because it works so exceptionally well. But let me tell you, if it doesn't work for a day or two, you're into mayhem in this, in this modern society mm -hmm. we live in. Dr. Kiefer, I mentioned at the beginning of the segment with you that we've been in touch with Thierry Bro, Professor Bro in Paris. He's the former head of energy security for, for France. He sent me uh, a, a, an email two days ago. And uh, he writes on the energy side, 
new nuclear is still far away, as we've seen in the UK last week. Renewables have been growing fast in 2023, but are now facing cost issues as in North America. 2024 will see some pickup in demand, electricity and gas, which should continue to keep prices above historical average. Are we just uh, just taking what he said about Europe, what you've said to us about Canada, are we in a, in a continuing in a, in a time of flux as, as far as energy delivery is concerned? Who's going to choose what, when? I mean, certainly everything's gotten more expensive. People see it at the grocery store. They see it in, probably in their power bills. And, and certainly we're seeing it in the power sector when we're looking at resources that we can add to the grid. Um, offshore wind has been experiencing a major crisis. Um, huge issues unanticipated with repairs, um, many, many units going offline, having mechanical issues. It's a grueling environment, having a turbine out in a salty ocean with high winds, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the bids that are being put in for offshore wind in New Jersey um, are as uh, expensive as electricity from the world's most expensive nuclear plant down at Bogle. So, you know, it, it is interesting seeing the way things are going. Um, you know, you mentioned this refurbishment and pickering is going to be expensive. Um, you know, the refurbishments are already happening at Bruce and Darlington, um, but somehow nuclear is still the second cheapest cost of power after hydro. And what you see with whenever you add lots of wind and solar is that it's it's cheap to build them and install them. But for some reason, the electricity prices go up. So California, you know, it's a leader in, uh, in renewable energy in the U.S., highest electricity prices in the continent. Similarly with Germany and, uh, and Denmark, um, lots of wind in Denmark, lots of uh, solar and wind in Germany, highest electricity prices. So there's something going on there. And it has to do with the fact that, you know, the electricity grid, it's not you're not selling a commodity. You don't go to a wind farm and say, I'd like 100 electrons and put them in your toaster like coins. It's a service like healthcare, And you need it there when you need it. Just like an emergency department, it's got to be staffed 24-7 and it's got to be able to respond to emergencies and step up some resources when needed. The power grid needs to do the same. And when either of those systems are not working, people die. I don't mean to sound hyperbolic, but again, because of the threat of climate change, we're reimagining our energy system in pretty radical ways. There's ways to reimagine that responsibly with nuclear, po- with nuclear power, providing reliable energy as we're used to, or there's really irresponsible ways of, you know, trying again to, to t- put this system together with duct tape of wind, solar, batteries, and cars, etc. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.